You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Friday the 10th of June. We're just a few days away from Royal Ascot. It's dry. We're set fair for the moment. Clark of the course, Chris Stickles, says he's going to bung some water on at the weekend. More of that in a few moments' time. And we will be getting stuck into the the Royal Meeting later in this edition, on the Saturday edition, and of course, throughout next week. But I don't think we can quite put to one side yet the furore that has continued over the British Horse Racing Authority's decision to effectively, temporarily at any rate, torpedo their own proposal to cut 300 races off the fixture list. I've been doing a bit of a ring round this morning and gathering a bit of information from some of those who had key parts to play in this decision not to reach consensus on this and to take it to the BHA board. David Yates is newsboy from the Daily Mirror. I'm not sure the extent to which this is something that you're going to be able to tickle mirror readers with, Dave. Um, But I have absolutely no doubt that it is something you'll be trying to tickle them with and trying to explain as best possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's it's perfectly true that industry stories are not uh, the meat and drink of of mirror readers or the the journalists that serve them, Nick. That's undeniable. Um, But of course... Mirror readers are punters and they want to get their teeth into compelling and interesting racing. And my job depends on their interest and therefore the racing being compelling and interesting. It's, it's much more relevant to mirror readers, for example, than say, than say uh, an argument about owner's prize money. Because although, yes, that has ramifications on the horse population, this is... Uh, in the here and now, a situation whereby people, we fear, will walk away from the sport when they're faced with race cars that have five, four and three runners uh, in races. The the readers of the Daily Mirror's racing pages who find it an interesting sport, well, we need to keep it so. All right, Dave. Well, I've, I've been trying to drill down into this a little bit because... there tends to be a slightly reductive analysis at times like this as to why this has happened and that everybody in the sport was agreed that this was a good thing and the BHA have somehow blown it out of the water. Well, clearly everybody didn't agree this was a good thing or that it hadn't been done particularly well. Also, ARC, the arena racing company, are are seen as the the bad guys often in, in situations like this. But if you look at the composition of the Racecourse Association board and the RCA representative voted against this, and that's because their own board voted five votes to three against it. Now, if you assume that the chairman and the chief executive, given their rhetoric, voted against, and you assume that the jockey club, given their rhetoric, voted for, and the ARC voted against, that still leaves at least two independent representatives of independent racecourses, be they small or large, who who did not approve of what the BHA was proposing because they didn't feel, so I'm told, um, by sources close to them, that there was sufficiently robust data backing up the proposal. And it was really just a kind of one-pager floating it out there. Right. Well, this is, this is interesting. I, mean, the, um, I must pay 
credit to uh, Bill Barber's excellent and informative piece uh, in today's Racing Post, during which he makes the observation, which you've just outlined, that both in terms of the thoroughbred group and the RCA representation, there was not unanimity in the in the thoroughbred group the racehorse owners association would have voted against and as you said there was a split among the race courses um however with this this issue of of the data that there was i mean i'm i'm i want to read out um a quote from julie harrington the 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 bha chief executive Uh, she said that, that that they want to take a strategic position uh to this issue and examine the data well this question of the data when the bha made this proposal in the first place did they not did they not come up with um a raft of of information and 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 data to support it those proposals it's widely acknowledged that by cutting 300 races from the fixture list in 2023 that that would cost the the sport the industry uh, a seven figure sum now Given that we all accept that, even those of us who would, if we had a vote, uh, vote for the proposals to remove 300 races, um, we acknowledge that there's going to be a short-term cost and it's not going to be chicken feed. So when the BHA came up with these proposals, um, did they not have data to support them in the, in the first place? It's, it's, a, it's a very worrying picture, this. I mean... Uh, one could say, is this data not around us every day of the week when we look at race courses that have five, four and three runner fields um, and we look at a meeting like the Cheltenham Festival where some of the races uh, seem extremely weak. If you delve deeper into the data, which one would expect the governing body and uh, those who work for it in, in this area to do, would they not have done that in the first place? If the BHA stands aside or indeed votes against its own proposals, and at the, t- at the moment I don't think we know which it was, although it's irrelevant really, um, we're, we're talking about a, sm- a small tweak, 300 races. Many people within the industry think that that really should have been uh, the mere tip of the action that's required. So if the tripart system uh, that we've got if that can't work with what Judy Harrington acknowledges is the smaller argument, then what hope have we got when, when we get to the bigger one? I speak to people on a day-to-day basis, practitioners within uh, horse racing, and the, the, the level of trust in the governing body and its competence um, is, is very low. And I'm afraid the events of the last few days uh, will have serve to take it a good deal lower we have this tripart system well how can it work if it's merely a bipartite system with the bha standing in the middle as some sort of onlooker um reluctant to exert its authority as the governing body and then if we zoom out a little further and we see this in not just the context of the racing community but uh, uh, the the wider one of of involving the government, British horse racing has to show that, or that the authority has to show that it's willing and able to be an effective government body. We we, we are um, under myriad so-called existential uh, issues and threats that that um, face horse racing tabled by its opponents. Now, 
I, I've talked and bored people about my support of the use of the Procush whip in horse racing. Um, how can the government trust the BHA to govern the sport effectively and with authority if an issue like this, the very first issue that, that, that it faces, as, as Julie Harrington acknowledges the smaller one if it if it ducks out of that i mean you know the the signs aren't good for the future both within the sport and looking in a much wider context when it comes to um dealing with the the political world in westminster yeah you mentioned government obviously the gambling review is uppermost in the minds of the bha's leadership particularly you would think the new chair joe somerez smith given his background in the industry and you wonder the extent to which that is now being levered into this argument as a factor in moving this a little further away, feeling that this isn't the right time to take short-term pain because it's too much of a risk in light of what might be round the corner. Well, I mean, I think there are two, there are two responses to that. And one is that, as I said, that I, I think by not unanimous agreement, but widespread agreement, uh, within the industry, obviously that most of the practitioners or, or the practitioners as opposed to the owners, if I may, in the thoroughbred group and many people within the BHA, particularly those who came up with the proposals in the first place, uh, punters, those of us who um, aren't practitioners but uh, work in the sport professionally, I think most of us think that, uh, that, that action is needed and action is needed now. And the second point is that I think that we're talking about the, the, the long-term health of the industry. And I think that we all acknowledge that there is going to be a hit as a result of uh, reducing the number of races in the 2023 fixture list. As, as I've said, even those who, who, who would vote for the proposals acknowledge that. And that is for the good of the sport in the the medium and the long term and if there is a sort of a, a, a war on two fronts as it were with regard to a, a financial hit uh, for from uh, as, as a result of the gambling review I, I think that's just something that we have to deal with the, the issues facing the bloated fixture list have to de- have to be dealt with as soon as they possibly can and they have to be dealt with for the medium term and long term good of the sport Dave, thank you for the moment. Hopefully you feel well up to speed now, thanks to Lydia, Dave and Lee over the last three days on this incredibly complex but extremely important issue that is facing British horse racing, whose most impressive, colourful, exciting stage is set next week at Royal Ascot. And that's what's bringing participants from all around the world here in a moment You'll be hearing from the Japanese connections of Sharia, the favourite for the Prince of Wales' stakes. Australian trainer Chris Waller is at Royal Ascot. He's been at the Royal Track this morning, giving his horses home affairs and nature strip a leg stretcher. And he's been talking to our friends at World Horse Racing. Uh, well, firstly, myself, it was a great privilege to be here. And I was a little hesitant as to how things would work out and relieved to see them breeze up the straight in good form. As I would say, they looked uh, looked at home. The whole reason for the exercise is probably to stimulate them a little without doing too much work. And I find, uh, like us, you take them away uh, to something new. It, it does uh, get the blood a little bit warmer and helps switch them on. So obviously they'll be coming here race day. They'll be 
a massive crowd on each of the days. Seeing the marquees to the inside and the big stand, which is just amazing uh, for all of us to see, but you could only imagine what a horse thinks when they're coming to a new environment. So it was just helping them be more familiar with it when they come back here next week. You don't want them falling apart come race day, it's a long way to come. Yeah, we're staying with Charlie Hills and his facility is just amazing. It's a privilege to be there, like it is here today. And just the vast open spaces, the horses come first. And this day and age, um, that's what it's all about. It always has been, I guess, but there's the horses come first. Even when you're walking across the road, the locals will stop. Um, I don't think we could get that in Sydney. <laughs> Going across James Roos Drive, I don't think there would be one, one car stop, let alone the whole, the whole population. So it really is quite amazing. And um, yeah, it's, a, as I said, a privilege to be here. Chris Waller there, uh, giving his horses a bit of a spin at Ascot this morning, talking to our friends at World Horse Racing. Do follow them on Twitter for all the latest updates. Dave, to what extent is the international participation becoming the overriding point of interest this year? This year, the, the element of international competition is stronger and it's wider than it's ever been before. Um, it's particularly good, I think, to see the Australians back. Uh, Chris Waller uh, speaks with great humility and obviously we know about his achievements uh, in the sport at home and we know obviously about the exploits of of Winks. Compatriots, Black Caviar, Takeover Target, Miss Andretti, uh, they've lit up the sprints at Royal Ascot in the past and it seems that his runners are, are certainly listening to the Nick Luck Daily this week. It certainly seems as though this year's representatives are going to do the same. Uh, Japan, of course, we've had uh, Deirdre winning uh, the Nassau stakes at Goodwood in the past. And uh, the fact that they're at the party too is a, a, a great boost to what's going to be a fantastic week. I'm, I'm slightly worried about one of the challengers who is a little closer to home, and that is the need to put water on the track. I wonder how that's going to work for Homeless Songs. Uh, Dermot Weld's winner, brilliant winner, of the Irish 1000 Guinness, Guinness, who is a, a short price favourite for the Coronation Stakes, and I would have thought that uh, drying ground might be against her. The ground is only good at the moment. I know it dries out quickly at Ascot. Chris Tickle's already talking about watering. You can see the debate coming a mile off, can't you? If, if there's water put on the ground and it is not good to firm on the first day, it is good and has been watered to good, then that is going to cause significant consternation. Yeah, um, it, it, really, it, it really is. And Royal Ascot starts a week before the longest day of the year. And I would say to anybody uh, who's going to complain, uh, because the, the ground is artificially watered to softer than good to firm, uh, I'd say I'm right behind you there because... I don't think that's fair on the fast ground horses. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. But as you can say, as, as you say, it, uh, you can see this issue coming from, uh, from quite a way off towards the horizon now. Yeah, I, I'm unsurprised, Dave, that, that Baid is taking you know, a, a lion's share of the headlines, uh, the, the favourite for the Queen Anne stakes. But if you're going to ask me which race I'm most looking forward to, it's not that one. In all honesty, it's going to be an absolute cakewalk for him. There's no opposition, is there? No, I don't think so. Um, the, the, the fact that uh, Master of the Seas came out at, uh, before the, the, um, the six days caused uh, Baye to, to shorten still further uh, for the Queen Anne stakes. There are a maximum of nine rivals at the moment. Uh, I think in, in most lists at the moment, uh, Baye is about a seven to two on shot. 
or a, a, a four to one on shot. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it'll be uh, it'll be one of the shocks of the of the week in the very first race if Baid's uh, colours are lowered for the very first time. And yeah, I, I agree. I mean, for for my money, I think that the, of the uh, of the Group One races, I think the sprints are going to be really interesting. For all that the uh, the home contingent may not be particularly strong in that division. I think that the international runners have, have lent an awful lot of, of interest to that. And also, I think the coronation stakes, as I say, the, the, my worry about the ground for homeless songs, uh, there are, it, it, that's going to be a, a, a really interesting race, the coronation. I, I think that if you, if you ask me, my, my, the, the, the race I'm most looking forward to at the moment, I would say that it's the coronation stakes. Right, well, I've been casting my net far and wide trying to hoover up connections for next week. So let's talk to trainer Michael O'Callaghan, who has his biggest string ever coming over from Ireland to Ascot. I think it'll number eight or nine. And Michael, Twilight Jet, very much your team captain. He was a wonderful two-year-old last year, incredibly busy. And it looked as though he added a, a whole new dimension to his game when winning over six furlongs at Nace on his comeback. How hopefully are you for the Commonwealth Cup and his ability to really see this out well now? Yeah, uh, last time at the Cor- or at Nace uh, in the lack in his first start of the year, um, you know, he had some race fit rivals against him that day, and, and he and he hit the gates and set really good fractions, done a very good time on the day. And Nace is a, is a stiff six. Um, and he ran through the line, and and Lee Roach found it hard to pull him up after it. So he's as good as ever. He's better than he, he's you know he's it's, he was a good two year old last year. He got better with every run, and um, we always thought that he was going to be better at three just because of his physique. But you know when you're a trainer and horses are improving from run to run, it's hard to it's hard to pull up stumps with them. And um, you know in, in hindsight. The Breeders' Cup was probably a bridge too far for him, but you know he got a good break after that. And when we started back in January, he had a little bit of a setback, so he probably got six weeks longer of a break than we than we would have hoped. And um, we just swam him for six weeks. Um, about two weeks before the lacking stakes, he probably wasn't just right, and he just came in those last two weeks. Um, we went into the lack and sex thinking that he would need the run um, and Lee Roach got off him and said look he will improve for the run because he had, he took a big heave at the two pole filled himself up and went again um, he's race fit now uh, he's shown that he's strong enough this year to see out those six furlongs um, if you look back at the middle park last year um, he really caught people's attention and he put them all to the sword and a furlong down he looked like the winner and just didn't have that strength to see out the last hundred yards and he's ran a very very big race that day and a lot of you know perfect power was won the race that day if if, if twilight jet had that strength to have them all on their head and 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 maintain it through the line like he did at nace um um i think he would have you know he would have taken a lot of beating back then but he's a different horse this year again he's stronger he's filled into his frame uh, he's he's a great mind and and he's in love with the game and um, I think he's he has a huge chance if if uh, you know he could get them on their head and and see out the six um, I think he he's he's going to run a very very big race really much looking forward to it yeah the curve of his improvement is sharp he's such an admirable horse having run so many times last year all the best with him who do you think heads your two year old team would that be Crypto Force do you think yeah Crypto Force and the Chesham he, he ran a he ran a a lovely debut at, at the Curra over seven furlongs against uh, 
against the nice field, nice field of two-year-olds, especially some highly touted ones. Obviously, on the day, um, August Rodan of Aidens didn't have the clearest of passages, but our lad also he didn't have the most straightforward of races. He was a little bit slow away. Um, he was probably last at one point, and they went steady in that race, which can happen sometimes in Ireland, and they, they become sort of tactical races. And you know, they started to quicken from the tree, and he's five lengths down on the leaders at the tree, and he has to make that up and try and catch quickening horses just to get on par with them. And, you know, he did it quite well. And Colin Keane rode him. He said he was a little bit green, ran around a little bit, will improve for the experience. And when he got to the front, he said he just idled a bit. So um, who knows if, if, if Aidan's horse got out, if, you know, if they eyeballed each other, what, what, what the outcome might, might have been. But I, I would have, I would be interested to, 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 to have seen that happen. But um, he's come out of the race really well. He's improved again physically. Um, he's filled out since uh, you know he's he's a time tester with Galileo Mayer and he's you know he's not bred to be an early two year old but he has a lot of class and um, you know the Chesham is an ideal race for these sort of horses and um, you know I, I think whatever he does is is going to be a bonus I think he, he he's going to run a very very big race but he'll be a better horse in the autumn and he'll be a better horse next spring you know he could make into a Guinea's horse just the way he's bred and his physique and um, but don't take anything away from even now he's 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 very very good and he's very forward and he's improved from from the Curra. Um so look I think he's going to run a very big race and Olivia Morale got a big shout from Ammo Racing's Emily Scott on the podcast the other day I know she's another one you like and Maymar for our friends at My Racehorse they've bought into into him so more people can have a slice of a Royal Ascot runner do you think Maymar's got a chance in the Windsor Castle? Yeah, I do. To be honest, he's he's followed the very same race program as Twilight Jet did last year. Um, he ran in the Calix race at Nace, the conditions race. Um, he's finished second in that to the Antarctic on his first run. The Antarctic had had, had a run before that. The Antarctic is favourite for the Norfolk. Um, we stretched him out to six uh, for the Marble Hill next time out, and he finished third in that group three at the Curra. Uh, we just found that day that um, he possibly didn't see out the stiff six, and that he's a stiff five horse. Because when we went to, when we went to Tipperary the next day, he's given the winner seven pounds and the third horse nine pounds because of the conditions of the race, and that's quite a hard thing to do. Tipperary is quite a sharp five furlongs, and he was doing his best work inside the last hundred yards. He was just starting to reel in the winner. So, I think a stiff five and a fastly run five at Ascot um, will really suit him. Um, he's he's come out of the race at Tipperary very well. His work during the week was really good, and uh, he's a lot of natural speed. and He's a tough, hardy horse. He's a son of Maymas. They love racing. They have a great attitude, and um, I think he could run a very big race for for his new connections. Looking forward to it. Michael O'Callaghan there, and you can check out Memar shares very much still available at My Racehorse UK and MyRacehorse.com. If you want to get involved, your chance to have a Royal Ascot runner. Well, if you bought your horse at the Tattersall's Craven Breeze Up sale and you head to Royal Ascot next week, then you could be in for a windfall. Jimmy George, the marketing director from Tattersall's, is with me now. Uh, now, Jimmy, this is this is quite interesting, isn't it? And it works in a, in quite an unusual way. Just explain it to me. Yeah, morning, Nick. Um, so there's £250,000 in total in bonuses available for um, any two-year-old bought from this year's Tattersall's Craven Breeze Up. And 125 of that, £125,000 of, of that is for any two-year-old that then goes on to win one of the six two-year-old races at Royal Ascot. Um, and then the other 125000 
pounds is for any two-year-old that goes on to win a Group One race in Europe uh, from from the sale. So it's uh, there's a lot on offer. Last year, the Royal Ascot bonus was narrowly denied to Go Bears Go, who finished a, a very good second to um, to Perfect Power, um, and uh, the the Group One part of the bonus was won by Native Trail when he won the national stakes and uh, so look it's a, it's a great bonus and it's a real incentive for the owners to come to the Craven Breeze up and uh, yeah I think there's a there's a few there's a few connections yeah. that will be eyed up eagerly in in the coming week yeah you spoke about Go Bears Go owned by Ammo Racing of course and we spoke to Emily Scott uh, Keirja Options Racing Manager earlier in the week uh, she was giving a big shout to Omni Queen and Wallbank, who are both contenders. Um, Omni Queen, I think, um, possibly the Queen Mary and Wallbank in the in the Norfolk Stakes would have a have a bit of a squeak. Uh, but there are others as well, aren't there? Yes, there are. Those two would have um, live chances, and I, I must admit, Wallbank I thought was very impressive the other day when he won. And um, look, the Ammo team are great supporters of the Craven Breeze Up, so it'd be it'd be lovely to see them well rewarded. But Alice Haynes, who who obviously trains for Ammo, but she has a she has a filly called Lady Bullet who I think is a, a live contender um, in, in whichever direction she goes. Some of these two-year-olds, I'm not sure they've been, been allocated their, their primary target yet for next week, but she'd be a sort of Queen Mary or Windsor Castle filly. She only costs 48,000 guineas. And uh, uh, another one who might have a squeak, probably slightly below the radar, is a Havana Gold cult called Chateau, who's trained by Andrew Balding. And uh, he won last time out, but I think he might be a little bit better than the margin suggests. And uh, I, I have a feeling he might head to the Windsor Castle for for Andrew Balding and Sheikh Issa. And uh, again, great supporters of Tavisors, and they'd be thrilled to win a bonus of this magnitude. Yeah, he won the two-year-old race, the Colts two-year-old race, at Beverly the other day. Um, just a, a quick line, I can't let you go without a, a nod to, to Desert Crown, the Tats book two yearling. Well, Richard Brown has spoken extensively about him on here and why he bought him at Tats, but that must have given you an enormous amount of pleasure. Derby winner bought at public auction. It's a big deal for the sport. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, it was just such a wonderful result on so many levels. Fantastic result for, for, for Sir Michael. Um, he is the, a, an artist. He's a consummate, consummate professional. And to see him uh, win a derby with a horse that looks like he has such a huge future ahead of him is, is fantastic for the sport. 280,000 guineas. He was, you know, he is a, an outstanding looking individual, Desert Crown. But again, he's a triumph for, for so many different people and for his breeder, Gary Robinson, who's, whose farm is not far from Newmarket, to breed a derby winner is the pinnacle of, of anybody's ambitions when they go into breeding the thoroughbred. And he really does look a little bit special. And uh, look, we were, we were narrowly, narrowly denied a, a, a derby Oaks double and Emily Upjohn was 60,000 guineas at, at uh, the October yearling sale, at the Tallisall's October yearling sale. And uh, again, she would have been a fairy tale story. I think she'll go on to bigger and better things, and and that fairy tale will come true for her owner John Shack and Steve Roden. So, um, look, it was a great weekend, and um, look, I, I think all of us, anybody who derives pleasure from watching thoroughbreds, has got a lot to look forward to with Desert Crown and and Emily Upjohn, and uh, you know, great advertisements for for buying yearlings at public auction and specifically at Tattersalls in October. 
Time for our weekly visit now with Racing Welfare. Simone Sear, the Director of Welfare, uh, joins me now. And Simone, I, I'm really interested to know what you were up to last weekend. This sounds like a fantastic uh, a day, day out and initiative. Yeah, it was a fantastic day out um, and, and initiative. Um, we were really, really lucky to um, have an invite from the Jockey Club to take um, some of our retired racing staff there their partners and carers to Derby Day. Um, so everyone had an absolutely fantastic day um, in our own enclosure. We, we had the Upper Tattenham enclosure and, yeah, um, people came from, from Newmarket. We had a few people join us from Epsom, Lambourne and Kingsclear and, and travelled to spend the day there together. And so how do you keep tabs on everyone that, that has worked in the industry? That must take a bit of doing. Yeah, it does. So um, we have pe- people can register. So people that have worked in the industry who are either approaching retirement or you know are beyond retirement can register with with our with our teams, with our local teams, um, to put kind of put their name on the list to be contacted really about about all the trips and outings and and events that we run for for our um, retirees. It, it 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 was amazing. Um, I think one of the biggest things that come comes out of it is is you know that group of people together uh, you know are able to to tell stories share memories connect again with um old friends make new friends um you know people they haven't seen for years and years and and to be part of that it, you know it's actually really quite hard to describe because it, it, it's quite it's very powerful and you know, it's part of our community program of, of the prevention of, of loneliness and isolation. And we know that for, you know, for older people, particularly, I think the, the statistic is about 1.4 million older people in the UK report feeling lonely. And that in turn can have a really knock on negative impact on you know, being able to age well and on, on health and well-being. So, so for us, you know, you know to bring people together, um, you know, people who have contributed so much to the sport over the years, you know, is, is a is a very powerful thing to do, and you know, a, a real privilege, in fact. Okay, it's Friday, which means it's thoroughbred racing commentary rankings time. There is loads to get in today. Reflections on the Oaks, the Derby, look ahead to the Belmont, and all around the world as well with James Willoughby. We need to give you this week the top fifteen because at fifteen up. Any amount of places, more of which in a moment, is Desert Crown, the Derby winner from last weekend. At 14 is Golden Pal, who may yet go much higher than this if he beats Nature Strip, who's ranked number three at Royal Ascot on Tuesday for Wesley Ward. At 13 is Hot Rod Charlie, not far away from a comeback. At 12 is title holder from Japan, who was so impressive in May. 11 is the Irish Guineas winner, Native Trail, still the best of the Applebee's. 10 is Animo, 9 very elegant, and 8 Euphoria, who'll be slipping out soon. 7 is Zaki, 6 Nick's Go, who's retired. 5 Jackie's Warrior runs today in the true north at Belmont Park. 6.5 Furlong's Grade 2 ought to win that. 4 is Life is Good. 3 is Nature Strip. Uh, who runs Tuesday in the Queen Anne and may run in the Platinum Jubilee as well. Imagine if he wins both of those. He could be challenging Baid for the number one spot. And between him and Baid is Golden 60 at two. And Baid kicks Royal Ascot off and he ought to win. He's very short price to do so in the Queen Anne on Tuesday. So there you go, James Willoughby. Right, let's start with Desert Crown. 15, that's, um, that's quite a high ranking, isn't it, for a, for a Derby winner? 
Right, Nick. Yeah, and before we go on, I beseech the NLD listeners to to log on to thoroughbredracing.com for the full coverage of all this stuff because, there's an, as you say, there's a ton to get on. Yeah. Now, this is a highly ranked Derby winner for two reasons. One, the form, the performance of the is really good. The form, as has been covered on your podcast, is strictly no more than average behind him, you would say. But the other important factor is that this was only his second group race, third race overall, and he remains unbeaten. And that means that he has considerable upside still. And that's really why the rankings have placed him as, as high as they have at 15. Because when we try to estimate a horse's ability using its race course's performance, we need to consider not just what we think is the centrality of that range, which is like, the, if you want, the, the official rating type idea, but also the spread of ratings. And let's face it, everyone in the racing world agrees this horse is an absolute crackerjack and could be one of the top horses in the world. Yeah, so at 15, what I presume what it's saying is impressive in a group race just second time out, even more impressive in a better yeah. group race third time out, therefore. That's right, exactly, heading the trajectory, heading, heading towards the, the, the top of the world. What do the rankings make of the Oaks, James? Uh, Emily up, John, and Tuesday. Well, nowhere near so impressive because of those two horses' backstory, which, which although in Emily up, John's case, is thoroughly progressive, uh, Tuesday was a bit of a shock to the rankings. Now, you and I understand here where the rankings might be underrating this race because Aidan O'Brien's profile is very scattergun in the last few years. It used to be the case. It used to be have horses who, were very sm- who progressed very smoothly. But now we know that they can just suddenly jump up. We know that Tuesday's ranking at 86, Nick, probably doesn't do the filly any favours. The race was rated by the computer in terms of the performance level on the world's best racehorse rating scale as 120, which makes it a really good Oaks. Uh, it had some strength in depth to it. The first two uh, were pulling away at the end, uh, Tuesday and Emily Opjohn, who were both ranked to 120. But in terms of rate 120, in terms of rankings, Nick, Tuesday sits at 86, and Emily Upjohn only 206, but expect those two uh, to go shooting up in the, in the rest of the season. Um, can we do a little bit of projection, James, as well, uh, as far as Royal Ascot's concerned? Because we've got Baid and Nature Strip sitting at one and three. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're confidently expected to strut their stuff on the opening day. I mean, Baid's really got no opposition at all in the Queen Anne. Yeah, right. So if Baid wins and Nature Strip wins, Baid will remain as number one, I would imagine. I'm only guessing at this. I don't fix the numbers. It's done automatically. But just looking at uh, past history, if Nature Strip, you say he could turn out twice, is that correct? It's not, it's basically what will happen, and we discussed this with uh, Jason Richardson on the pod the other day. If he wins on Tuesday, there's a very strong chance he backs up on Saturday against his own stable companion, Home Affairs, in the Platinum Jubilee. Now, the complication there is that James McDonald, the TRC number one globally ranked jockey, is going to ride Nature Strip on Tuesday, but would then be contractually obliged to ride Home Affairs for Coolmore on Saturday for the same stable. That is why Jamie Carr has flown over. It's just in case Nature Strip wins on Tuesday, so she can then ride Nature Strip on Saturday. So Nature Strip could go from the world's highest rated male jockey to the world's highest rated female jockey then. Not a bad bad substitution. No, that's very interesting. So if Nature Strip wins both those, which is probably unlikely, but if he does... Then he will become, he will use up Baid, even if Baid wins the Queen Anne, because at the moment there are about 90 ranking points between them. And the computer, I guarantee, will be very impressed with a Group 1 double at Royal Ascot against all, uh, especially given that Nature Trip was competing outside of his home court, his home 
the horse he normally runs against. So that will give the computer a lot more confidence that he is where he deserves to be in the world. Let's talk about the Belmont Stakes, which takes place tomorrow, yeah. Saturday, the final leg of the Triple Crown. It's got a, a really odd look to it, this race, uh, for reasons that we've gone into multiple times on the, on the podcast. What do the rankings say and what, wh- wh- which direction do they steer us? Well, the, the rankings computer had its virtual coconuts on in the Preakness Stakes, and that worked out quite nicely when early voting won. And so the computer's following the same form line with Mo Donegal, the, the wood winner, who is the highest ranked horse here, 82 in the world. So this isn't brilliant for a classic, really, although the derby was even lower than this because the horses were more exposed. Interesting horse in second, Nick. Ness, the filly, mm. the Kentucky Oaks runner-up at 155. She gets a handy five pounds, Todd Fletcher's uh, well-bred filly. And then third in, Rich Strike, the derby winner himself at 164. So the computer's got the Oaks second ahead of the derby winner. That's because of Rich Strike's uh, surprising jump up. And we, the people who could well go our favourite, only 430 in the world. He's not done enough yet, but that could soon change. And we, the people, surely from post one, is a candidate to, to try and mess this around on the front end, having looked so impressive last it. time. Yeah, I, there's no, there is just no other speed in the race at all. Yeah. None. Yeah, as my old colleague Dale McEwen uh, used to say, may, um, basically set the pace and keep widening. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Happy day, happy days, very happy memories, James. Oh, say that again. Yeah. And, and a brisk roundup from the rest of the world. Right, I've got to fly through this. Yeah, we had the Isuda Kinnan, one of Japan's most important mile races. That went to the mayor's song line. Her first uh, grade one there, 119. And uh, she'd won in Saudi Arabia, you, you will remember. She's up to a 37 in the world. The runner-up, Schnellmeister, should have won. Got a, a, an ordinary ride, 53 in the world. But he's got better form than song line at his best. Nick, other news, a 3,000th career win for Luis Saez, the Panamanian American-based jockey. He's world number nine. It was also a good week for a Puerto Rican in Irad Ortiz, who, who had a, a good run of form. He stays at number five. From Epsom, Huckham ran to 122 on our scale. We we're really impressed with him. What a shame he's got injured. He's oh. 24 in the world now. Um, rounding up the derby, Hu Yamao, uh, the runner-up, is 825 from 1,977 in terms of rankings. Westover, we've got above him because he'd already won the classic trial. And Westover ranks 264, could go a lot higher than that. Last two bits of news for your listeners. Chris Waller broke the prize money record in Australia. He is the world number seven trainer on account of the fact that he has a lot of runners. And it's a bit like Aidan O'Brien. Their actual aggregate of success is a lot, but the computer doesn't like the fact that Waller's got an 11% strike rate and Aidan O'Brien only 12% with that material, uh, which counts against both of them and keeps them down relatively. O'Brien at six and Waller at seven because we, we try to find winners and strike rates important in that particular thing. Holly Doyle, uh, she will make her US debut in the Belmont Gold Cup and uh, 101 she's ranked in the world. We've already mentioned that Jamie Catt is the world's highest ranked female rider at uh, number 30. And finally, over in the States, um, we had the Shoemaker Mile, grade one. Uh, the computer doesn't like uh, American turf mining form, which is pretty clever of it, since we all know that it's not very good. 116 uh, for count again. So it was another terrific week of world uh, racing last week, and you can follow it all 
on thoroughbredracing.com. Every horse is ranked, every race is ranked, every trainer, jockey, sire is ranked. You can search them all. There are winners where we rate every race from last week, and you can see how good the races were by according to our computer. And then the top climbers, we can see who are the movers and shakers each week. So I can't really do justice to what good racing we had last week in the world. But as I say, you can cond- it's all condensed there for you, and you can search it to your heart's content. And we told you to keep an eye out for what might happen in the Belmont Stakes. In, in essence, as far as the rankings are concerned, it might be more personal just to look at the whole of the Belmont card. And particularly, you just mentioned the trainer rankings. Chad Brown right. is marching up the back of, of Charlie Appleby here. Uh, Brown's, yeah. uh, Brown's strike rate is ridiculous uh, at the moment, going at about 37%. He's got a 6-5 to five morning line favorite in Regal Glory in the grade one just a game. And then he's got Jack Christopher, who's going to be a long odds on in the grade one Woody Stevens. That could easily be two grade ones for, for Brown. And then he's got any number of horses that could, that could run well later in the card. Search results will go off second favorite, most likely, for the, the grade yeah. one Ogden Phipps. And, you know, so, and so it goes on. Yeah, he's six to, six to seven to one on, by my reckoning, to be the world number one next week to resume his uh, former seat of power there. When we talk about, we've, we've touched on strike rates and how uh, that can differentiate them right at the top level. Well, just to re- recap, there are six, actually seven, seven trainers who basically stand out by this metric around the world. Charlie Appleby, 25%. Chad Brown, 22%. Bob Baffert, whisper his name at the moment, 30%. Uh, John and Thady Gosden, 26%. Brad Cox, 25%. William Haggis, 22%. And in New Zealand, the great uh, Jamie Richards at 28%. He's world number 10. And those six trainers between them, basically, although they're not the top six ranked horses because Jamie Carr's uh, lines are cast in slightly easier waters in terms of quality, but the top five in the world, Appleby, Brown, Baffert, Gosden and Cox, well, they really are trainers who would stand the test of time historically in terms of their results. And in Chad Brown, although it may not be quite such a familiar name to some parochial outlooking uh, uh, viewers over here he is an unbelievable uh, operator as you well know from uh, personal contact and uh, watching his horses on the track live yeah and by the way in addition to the three horses i mentioned he's got no fewer than four going in the grade one manhattan as well so it could be a quartet of grade ones for for brown at belmont park and that would put him right there on top of appleby james thanks so much Thanks all over for Charlie Appleby. He'll enjoy it, number one this week because because he's getting relegated next week but it's up to him to fight back at royal ascot nick Goodbye. Right. Thank you to James. Thank you to all my guests today. David Yates is still with me, and he has a tip for you to, to, get, to get the coffers bolstered before Royal Ascot. Yes, that's something that we will uh, no doubt put on uh, the front of tomorrow's Daily Mirror pullout. Boost your coffers ahead of Royal Ascot. We're going with Max Dilemma in the 135 race at Chepstow this afternoon. This horse is on a right roll, looking for a four-timer. Goes back up to seven here, having scored at shorter on his last three starts, but I think is capable of pr- producing his best over the trip. He's won over seven previously. So it's the 135 at Chepstow. Selection is number six, Max Dilemma. Are you suggesting I talk in well-worn cliches? I'm certainly not. I would suggest nothing of the kind, my liege. <laughs> Excellent. David, thank you very much. Uh, for your time today. Uh, we will see you again very soon. Uh, Charlotte will be here this evening from nine o'clock with a Saturday edition, rounding up what's happened this week and looking ahead uh, to next. And I, of course, will be back with you on the eve of Royal Ascot on Monday. That's all for now. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.